This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Kia ora, theatre nerds. Just before we start today's programme, I want to let you know that it was recorded just before we learned of the decision to move the country to COVID Alert Level 4. So obviously some of the things we talk about in the What's On Soonish segment of the show and to do with auditions and so on will be subject to whatever happens over the next few days. So whatever happens, keep yourself safe, keep rehearsing, and we will update what we can in our next episode next week. Now, on with the show. You are backstage with me, Mike, and my good friend Mel Martin. She's sitting right there. Hi. Yeah, we're very pleased to be nerding out with you once again. The opening of today's episode comes from our musical of the week, Natasha Pierre at the Great Comet of 1812. We'll forgive you if you don't know anything much about it, because, well, I certainly didn't before. Oh, got to today. I don't know if I will. But it features the one and only Josh Groban, which I've got a feeling might be why Mel has chosen it for this week, right? Uh, a bit of a thing for Josh for actually, this week? I do have a bit of a thing for Josh, actually, mm. but John O'Freeban was... I, I don't know if you know, but he works with me now at the Young Workers Resource Centre, and so he sits opposite me, and he said, what about this musical? And I went, oh, yeah? And I had a look and went, oh, this actually looks cool, so... That's how that happened. Okay. Thanks, Jono. If you're joining us for the first time, we are based here in Hamilton, New Zealand. And if you like what you hear today and want more, or if you're here for the multiple time, uh, <laughs> go and hit up our back catalogue on any of your favourite podcast streaming apps. We're available basically anywhere. I love it when you make up English words. <laughs> Multiple. Yeah, we're not afraid to go where people haven't gone before. <laughs> On the menu last week was the topic of Broadway bootlegs, and our musical of the week last week was Billy Elliot, and it struck a chord with a lot of people by the look of it. I yeah, it got did. A few positive feedbacks on that. And it so was did, a good one. So, so did if the you topic missed of bootlegs. it, yeah, please go and catch up on it if you missed it last week. I thought it was a good yarn. Yeah. I thought it was a great story. Yeah. So, like we mentioned, I discovered Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet of 1812, thanks to Jono. So, I thought I would just 
expose Mike to it right now and dive right in straight away right now. How do you feel about it? What does, what does the panel think? Yeah, everybody's in agreement. Yep. <laughs> I just want everyone to know that Mike looked around at the non-panel. <laughs> which talk, I think, talk theater of the mind, Mel. I Don't think give away the secrets. an important detail. <laughs> uh, so I'm really excited to have discovered Natasha and Pierre. I have known of it for a while. Josh Groban was famously in the Broadway cast um, well, a few years ago. Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812 is a sung-through musical adaptation of a 70-page segment from Leo Tolstoy's 1869 novel War and Peace. So it's just a 70-page segment. It's a very, very, very long novel, and they've just done the 70 pages, uh, written by composer and lyricist Dave Malloy. It is based on part eight of Tolstoy's novel, focusing on Natasha's affair with Anatole. It's Russian. Forgive my pronunciations. Natasha's affair with Anatole and Pierre's search for meaning in his life. The musical originally ran at the Ars Nova in 2012, followed by 2013 stagings in both the Meatpacking District and the Theatre district of Manhattan. There was a 2014 Spanish language staging in Quito, Ecuador and a 2015 remounting at the American Repertory Theatre in Cambridge, Massachusetts. After all of that, it premiered on Broadway in 2016 in November at the Imperial Theatre and closed in September of 2017. The original off-Broadway production of the show had Dave Malloy, the writer, playing Pierre Bezukov, the lead, once the show was taken to Broadway, Josh Groban made his Broadway debut, taking over the role of Pierre. The musical received positive reviews, particularly for Philippa Sue of Hamilton fame, pre-Hamilton, Danae Benton and Josh Groban's leading performances, as well as for the production's score, direction and scenic design. The show was nominated for 12 Tony Awards that year. That was the highest number of nominations in the 2017 season. It won two of them. Uh, it was for Best Scenic Design for Mimi Lian and Best Lighting Design in a Musical for Bradley King. The musical begins in 1812. Now, bear with me. This is a... I don't know if you know the novel, but it's long and convoluted, and there's a lot of characters. That's all I know about it, because of, like a lot of people heard about it, been intimidated by it, yeah. and therefore never read it. And the opening number, which I will play for you at some point um, soon, is a song. It's just called Prologue, but it literally in- introduces all of the characters by name in that one number and kind of to point out the convolutedness of it. (laughs) Um, So bear with us. The musical begins in 1812 Russia, Moscow, with an introduction of each key player in that prologue. Natasha is a beautiful ingenue visiting Moscow while she waits for her beloved fiancé, André, to return from the war. Pierre is unhappily married and a good friend of André. Natasha's cousin Sonia joins her mother, Maria, to also wait for André to return from war. (laughs) Natasha is also to meet her future in-laws, André's sister, the lonely Mary, and his father, the lunatic old Prince Belkovsky. That meeting ends in disaster as Natasha finds Mary cold, Mary finds Natasha vain, and Belkovsky behaves bizarrely, so Natasha leaves, missing André more than ever. The next night, Natasha watches an opera with her cousin, Sonia, and catches the eye of the dashing Anatole Kurigan, a notorious rogue who visits Natasha in her box at the opera and leaves her with feelings she has never experienced before. Oh, she's flushed. She will be quite flushed, I would imagine. (laughs) Upon arriving home from the opera, Anatole goes out drinking with his friend Fader, Fader Dolokhov and Pierre. They are met by Anatole's sister, Helene, who also happens to be the unfaithfully promiscuous wife of Pierre, uh, hence why he's so unhappily married. Despite already being married, Anatole lusts for Natasha and Helene flirts with Fader, who taunts Pierre by raising a toast to married women and their lovers. 
Uh, obviously, a drunk Pierre finds Fader's behaviour insulting and challenges him to a duel. Pierre accidentally wounds Fader and Fader miraculously misses Pierre. I'm not sure if I'm saying Fader, Fader right, by the way, so just bear with me. Before they leave the site of the duel, Anatole asks Helene to invite Natasha to a ball that evening, and she agrees. They leave Pierre, who reflects on his near-death experience and realises that despite wasting his life, he actually does wish to live. A night later at the ball, uh, Natasha is met by Anatole and they dance. Anatole professes his love for Natasha, who tries to tell him that she is already engaged. Ignoring this, Anatole kisses Natasha, leading her to fall in love with him in return, and thus is the end of Act 1. Full-on drama, isn't it? it? It never stops, and I don't. If you go and watch the Tony Award performance on YouTube, and it is non-stop. They have audience members on the stage, like seated and, and rake seating on the stage as a part of the set. It's non-stop. Anyway, Act Two opens as Natasha is further torn between her feelings for both Andre and Anatole. Sonia, her cousin, discovers letters between Natasha and Anatole and learns of their relationship. She confronts Natasha and desperately explains her distrust of Anatole, but Natasha isn't having a bar of it. She storms off. Later, Natasha writes to Mary and breaks off her engagement with Andre. Alone, Sonia reflects on her love for her cousin and her determination to save her, even if it means losing her closest friend. That evening, Anatole and Fader prepare for an elopement between Anatole and Natasha. Fader attempts to change Anatole's mind, but he's unsuccessful. Balaga, their troika driver, arrives to take them to Natasha's house where they will retrieve her before departing, and when they arrive at Natasha's house, they are thwarted at the last moment by Maria, who is Andre's mother. Maria scolds Natasha. Natasha reveals to Maria and Sonia that she broke off her engagement with Andre and reaffirms her love for Anatole, who she still believes is unmarried. So, thwarted by Maria, Anatole is not coming, though Natasha cries all night and waits. <laughs> in true Victorian fashion. I don't, I don't mean to laugh in an unkind way. It's just that <laughs> <laughs> it's so Very melodramatic, dramatic. isn't it? Yeah. I think that's the point. Uh, so while they wait, Maria calls on Pierre in the middle of the night for help. He tells Maria that Anatole is already married and she is forced to break the news to Natasha, who is still waiting for their elopement and doesn't believe that her beloved Anatole could already be married. Pierre eventually finds Anatole at Helene's house. So Helene is Pierre's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so he orders Anatole to leave Moscow. Natasha attempts to take her own life by poisoning herself with arsenic, but she lives. The next day, Andre returns home from the war. He's disoriented about the refusal of the marriage he received from Natasha. He asks Pierre about it. Pierre explains the scandal to him and pleads with him to be compassionate, but Andre is unable to forgive Natasha and cold-heartedly tells Pierre that he will not ask for her hand in marriage again. Following this, Pierre visits the shattered Natasha and comforts her, giving her hope of a brighter future. After their meeting, Pierre experiences a moment of enlightenment as he watches the great comet of 1812 soar across the sky. Ah, that's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. That's okay. the, that's the end right. of the, the excerpt of the novel, I assume. Dave Malloy's original score merges Russian folk and classical music with indie rock influences. The piece is described by the composer as an electro-pop opera and is through-composed with just one line of spoken dialogue in Pierre and Natasha's only scene together at the end. On stage, nearly all of the actors play musical instruments, augmenting the show's orchestra. Pierre plays the accordion briefly and plays large sections of the score on the orchestra's piano. 
The musical premiered off-Broadway in October of 2012, directed by Rachel Chavkin. The show was staged as an immersive production, with actioning happening around and among the audience. The set, designed by Mimi Lien and lights by Bradley King, transformed the venue into a Russian supper club. The cast included Dave Malloy as Pierre, Philippa Sue as Natasha, Lucas Steele as Anatole, and Amber Gray as Helene. In May of 2013, the show then opened at the Meatpacking District in Manhattan at Casino. A temporary structure was designed as an opulent Russian club where the immersive production was staged again by the same creative team. And most of the cast reprised their roles except Choksi, now replaced by Ian Lasseter, and David Abels took over the role of Pierre on July 9th of 2013. And that run closed in September of the same year. The show opened for a 14-week limited engagement in September of 2013 at the casino and moved to the theatre district with the final cast of the previous production. On December 10th of 2013, the two-disc cast recording was released and the show was extended and ran until March of 2014. Then the team behind the original production remounted the show at the American Repertory Theatre in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Performances beginning December 2015 through to January of 2016. It has now expanded to a proscenium stage. The set put audience on stage, like I mentioned, in uh, tiered seating. So you could buy stage seating, uh, banquet or dinner table options as- alongside your Depending regular Depending on seating. how brave you felt. Yep. And how much money you got, I suppose. Fair enough. That production with the audience on stage transferred to Broadway at the Imperial Theatre in October of 2016, and that was starring Josh Groban as Pierre and Danae Benton as Natasha, both making their uh, Broadway debuts. The choreography for that version of the show was by Sam Pinkleton, sets by Mimi Lien, costumes by Paloma Young, lights by Bradley King, and sound by Nicholas Pope, with music direction by Orr Mateus. The Broadway production cost about $14 million to stage, most of which was not recouped, apparently, and it played its final performance on September 3rd of 2017, having played only 32 previews and 336 performances. Gee, you would think even with only uh, 336 performances that it should have stood, it had a bit of a chance of getting that money back. But I, just, I mean, $14 million, I, that's a massive budget that makes your eyes water. But I did, yeah, doesn't I it? Have, I would have thought with ticket prices being the way that they were around about that stage at the they must have come pretty close. Well, when you cast big names like Josh Groban for yeah, the I purpose suppose, yeah. of, yeah, of recouping, but um, I, I just don't think it paid off in this instance. The Great Comet has been performed in a multitude of languages, including Spanish, Japanese, Portuguese, Korean, Chinese, and Filipino. The Canadian premiere, produced by Musical Stage Co. and Crow's Theatre, was set to run from January to February in 21 uh, at the Winter Garden Theatre in Toronto, but was suspended due to COVID-19. That obviously shut down the entire theatre industry of the world. The show was very well received by the New York press. Charles Isherwood in the New York Times called it a vibrant, transporting new musical, and both Times theatre critics included the show on their best of the year lists. The Times classical critic, Anthony Tomasini, called it, and I quote, a breathless, roguish, and ravishing quasi-opera. This is a pastiche score of a cavalier sort. Mr. Malloy lifts styles with such abandon, making willful shifts from punk riffs to agitated Broadway ballads, mock pompous recitative to gritty Russian folk songs, or drinking choruses with klezmer clarinets. That you lose track of what has been appropriated, and you don't really care. <laughs> 
Time Out New York gave the piece five out of five stars, also included on both critics' best of lists, stating, This is theatre like no other in New York. It grounds you and transports you all at once and leaves you beaming with pleasure. Isn't that great, the the, the experimental stuff like that, or just an original take on something um, can inspire people to be so excited? It is quite an exciting show. I'm really enthralled by the subject matter and I'm a big fan of movies and books like Dr. Zhivago. Oh, okay. So this fits right into like my love of old Russian so stuff, I guess. Anyway, but <laughs> yeah. the, the musical treatment by the sound of it is what hit home, that mm-hmm. it was not just a, a very predictable classical style score, it's actually incorporated uh, new new musicology, if you like, yep. and, a, and a new take, uh, giving it a bit of a 21st century spin on things, yep. which, is, which is nice and nice to see that that's been recognised by the critics as well. Yeah, big time. Uh, there was a little bit of controversy, and Ooh. I've got a big paragraph sitting in front of me, but I'll I just summarise. Tell me, tell me. All right. Spill the beans. Or maybe I won't summarise. Uh, so Josh Groban played his final performance on July 2nd of 2017. A guy they called Oak, his name is Okarieti Onwanadan. Oak assumed the role of Pierre on July 11th. He was originally supposed to begin performances on July 3rd, the day after Josh left, but needed more time to prepare. Oak's performance was well received, but as the show started to begin struggling financially and the ticket sales were below running costs, the producers began to turn to stunt casting to boost sales and prevent the show from closing. On July 26th, just a couple weeks later, on 2017, a day before the official announcement, the website Broadway Black broke the news that Mandy Patinkin was set to replace Oak as Pierre for three weeks, cutting Noah Dewan's run short by a couple of weeks. Heaps of fans and other actors on Broadway were super angered by this casting decision, as obviously Patinkin is a white male actor uh, who was replacing Oak, who is African-American, by cutting his run shorter. A Twitter campaign was begun by Raphael Casal, a friend of Oak's, who coined the hashtag Make Room for Oak. The controversy led to Patinkin withdrawing from the show two days later and left Dave Malloy, the original Pierre and writer, to assume the role of Pierre for the remainder of the running. Ooh, that had to have an impact on the box office, eh? I think it did. The yeah. show closed a little over a month later and cited that controversy as well as declining ticket sales as the reason. With the little that I do know about Mandy Patinkin, um, I would think he would have been mortified to be put in that situation by the producers as well. I'm sure anyone would, yeah. yeah. I mean, Mandy Patinkin's an odd choice to replace Josh Groban with. Yeah. Or even Oak. It's uh, He's so old. <laughs> I mean, no offence, but like, yeah. the, the character is meant to be a bit of a... Yeah, but you know, pancake makeup, Mel. You know, <laughs> can cover a multitude of sins. Oh, it just can't. so is that what it means when they when they talk about stunt casting that that it's like bringing in a shock replacement actor to uh, just try to creating a the, bit of scandal. It would be like bringing Johnny Depp to replace somebody just so that you get a bit of a thrill. Totally. Oh, it's why you get people like Jake Gyllenhaal and the Broadway cast of Constellations. Okay. Or and don't get me wrong, they're all usually pretty good actors. Yeah, but. It's often at the expense of somebody else, eh? People have worked their asses off to get into theatre. Anyway, that's another story for another day. I tell you what, though, uh, I am really thrilled with the choice of show. I think uh, this sounds to me like um, uh, Chekhov with music on steroids. And like you, I'm I'm a sucker for that kind of story. Yeah, I've got enthralled with things like The Cherry Orchard and Uncle Vanya and that sort of stuff as plays. And I love all those Russian-sounding names and, you know, multitude of characters, some of which, as they're launched into the production, you think... Uh, am 
was supposed to be watching you for a long time, or are you one of these expendable characters? <laughs> what was your you name again? Are you going to yeah. be sticking around? I, yeah, yeah. I can't, can't remember who's who. Yeah, yeah. But it is quite enthralling, and yeah. it sounds like the musical treatment, um, as we're experiencing today with the soundtrack, I'm enjoying it. Me too. Uh, because it's kind of got that uniqueness about it, which um, kind of makes the hairs on the back of your neck go, ooh. Yeah, unique's a good way to put it, because yeah. it's not like anything I've ever heard. Good choice. Yeah. 
That was the prologue from our musical of the week, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. You're backstage with Mel and Mike. I'm Mel, and I've just given you a whole lot of me talking about a musical, so I thought <laughs> it might be a good episode for Mike to give you the goods on another play of the day. Ooh, okay. This is so unexpected, Mel. All right, off the top of my head, we're going to bring you The Pillow Man by Martin McDonough. And before we dive into it all, this play is uh, flagged as not for the faint of heart. Yes, Keturian a writer of short stories that often depict violence against children has been arrested by two detectives, Ariel and Topolsky, because some of his stories resemble recent child murders. When he hears that his brother Michael has confessed to the murders and implicated Couturian, he resigns himself to being executed, but attempts to save his stories from destruction. The play contains both narrations and enactments of several of Couturian's stories, including the autobiographical The Writer and the Writer's Brother, which tells how Couturian developed his disturbed imagination by hearing the sounds of Michael being tortured by their parents. It is heavy, as you can tell just from that little bit of description. It's filled with triggering content, so if you're not into violence or psychological drama, skip forward 10 minutes or so now, and also just earmark this is a play that you probably wouldn't want to go and see. Yeah, that's a good one too. Your key characters from The Pillow Man are Katurian, the writer of the gruesome short stories often involving children, Michael, who is Katurian's brother, who is slow to get things following his years of abuse at the hands of his parents. Topolsky is the lead detective and the, quote, good cop in the interrogation. And Ariel, a brutal and violent detective who has a vendetta against anyone who commits crimes against children because of abuse in his own past. Okay, so the play is told in three acts. In Act 1, Ariel and Topolsky interrogate Katurian in a police room, adopting that good cop, bad cop routine, with Ariel very happily playing the bad cop. At first, Katurian doesn't know why he's being questioned and thinks he's under suspicion of running political messages against the totalitarian dictatorship through his stories. The detectives and Katurian discuss grisly stories involving children. Ariel leaves the room and soon after, Michael is heard screaming in the next room. Ariel returns with his hands covered in blood from apparently torturing Michael and tells Katurian that Michael has just confessed to killing three children in association with Katurian. The first two children were murdered according to the patterns of the stories The Little Apple Men and The Tale of the Town on the River. Katurian denies the allegations, of course, stating that although his stories are gruesome, it's the job of the storyteller just to tell a story. Katurian's narrative is that he was raised by loving parents who encouraged him to write, and for many years he wrote very happy stories. However, at night he began to hear sounds of torture from the next room, and as a result he began to write more disturbing stories. One night, a note is slipped under the door claiming that Katurian's brother has been tortured nightly for seven years as part of an artistic experiment to get Katurian to become a great writer. Katurian breaks down the door only to find his parents who were playing a trick on him, pretending to be torturing a child. However, when Katurian returns years later, he discovers his brother's dead body hidden under the mattress, clutching the manuscript of a beautiful story better than any of Katurian's, which Katurian then burns. Katurian eventually interrupts his own story to admit that this ending was fabricated when he wrote the story. In fact, when he broke down the door, he found Michael still alive, at which point Katurian smothered his parents with a pillow that very night in vengeance for his disabled brother and the abuse that he suffered. This is complex, isn't it? It is complex. Act 2 opens with Katurian and Michael together in a jail cell. 
Katurian just having been tortured. Michael reveals that he has not been tortured at all, but rather cooperated entirely with Ariel, even screaming when Ariel asked him to. At Michael's request, Katurian tells him the story of the Pillow Man, about a man made of pillows who convinces children to kill themselves so they can be spared a horrible future. Michael admits to having killed the children, claiming that Katurian told him to do it through his stories. Michael says that he murdered the third child after hearing Katurian's story, The Little Jesus, one of his most violent. Michael tells Katurian that he read the written version of the writer and the writer's brother and resented the changes from their lives, wishing that Katurian had written a happy ending for the two brothers. Katurian lulls Michael to sleep by telling him one of his happier stories, The Green Pig, and then smothers him to save him the pain of being executed. Okay. Katurian calls to the detectives, announcing his intention to confess to the crimes on the condition that his stories are preserved. Katurian tells the others the story of the little Jesus, which was thought to inspire the third murder. And in that story, a young girl believes that she's the second coming of Jesus and blesses unsavory characters, to the dismay of her parents and annoyance of others. When her parents are killed in a horrific accident, she's sent to live with abusive foster parents. Annoyed by her pretensions, the foster parents crucify her and bury her alive so that she might rise again in three days. But, of course, she does not. And now we get to Act 3. Katurian writes out a false confession that adds the names of his mother and father to the list of people that he has killed. When Katurian sees how eager Ariel is to torture him, he guesses that Ariel was sexually abused by his father. Before Ariel can begin the torture, Tupolsky tells him that the third child might still be alive and Ariel leaves to find her. When Ariel returns with the girl, she is not injured, but covered with green paint, revealing that Michael has not reenacted the story of the little Jesus, but the little green pig. It's apparent to Ariel and Topolsky that Katurian was unaware of this and therefore could not have murdered the children like he confessed, but they decide to execute him anyway for murdering his parents and then vow to destroy his stories. Before Ariel can execute him, Katurian tells them about the torture Michael suffered in order for Katurian to become a better writer. Tupolsky shows no empathy and shoots Katurian in the head. Left alone with Katurian's stories, Ariel decides not to burn them. Wow. A story of family and of heartbreak and just bloody awful, terrible, mind-messing games and terrible times all around. It's really heavy, yeah. And I'm not one to be afraid of a story that challenges its listener no but this is very deeply convoluted stuff and Mm. what i find a little odd about it is just the the depth of convolutions that have gone into to contrive the story i think Mm. things could have been simplified a bit out of that yeah but like you you know you can't shy away sometimes from unpleasant stories it's just how is it treated yeah the pillar man stemmed in part from McDonough's experience of composing fairy tales with names such as The Chair and the Wolf Boy, The Short Fellow and the Strange Frog, and The Violin and the Drunken Angel, very early in his own writing career. And attempting to write fairy tales that he remembered from his childhood, he realised that there is something very dark about them that doesn't quite come through all the time. Mm. And I recognise this from when I was reading fairy tales as a like eight, nine-year-old, I yeah. thought. But this isn't a very happy story. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Often they're, they're couched in terms to make them sound like a. a Hansel and Gretel get eaten at the end. Happy ever after ending and everything. But yeah, but it's some pretty dark stuff being handled. Yeah. This. So he's taken it to another level. In a conversation with Irish drama critic uh, Fintana Tool in the Bomb magazine in 1998, Madonna retold the Brothers Grimm version of The Little Red Riding Hood. 
and the wolf's stomach is filled with rocks and sown with green wire. I've actually read that version, mm. leading to the wolf's death. And McDonough's comment was, I would love to write something as horrific as that if I could. And so he did, apparently. And then some. Yeah. That's but I can see where the fairy tale tie-in comes from. This writer's writing all his different little stories. Yeah. Um, you can sort of see that. But he's really overlapped things an awful lot in this. It's a very... Uh, when you read it as a synopsis, it, it becomes really kind of puzzling. Heavy. Yeah. Much heavier than I think it probably is on stage. I, and I've, I can't uh, recall ever hearing about it done as a production, so I, c- I can't imagine how it could be staged or, or what the dialogue in the in the script would be like. Get, I would imagine it could be pretty... I think it got done in Auckland... 10 or so years ago. Oh, okay. Um, but it's harrowing. It's, a har- it's not a play that comes around all the time. Yeah. I don't think. You wouldn't class it as bums on seats material, necessarily. Well, that's how would you sell it. <laughs> Have we got a play for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think plays this gruesome should be there. You know, the, the, they, they have the potential to seriously bomb in a community theatre space, though, unless they are treated with the utmost respects and sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm all for favour of doing stuff that's sort of challenging, stuff that maybe some people might find uncomfortable. Yeah, You have to be prepared uh, for the bomb aspect, though. If You know, if you don't pitch totally. it right or people don't get it, it could actually fall through the floor. Well, even if they do get it, they're still it's still content matter that is going to stress some people out. Yeah. So on balance, I think, yeah, I probably would like to see this performed just for the sake of I'm seeing intrigued, it. I'm intrigued, yeah. I'm not encouraging any local organisations to say, oh, we should look at that. <laughs> um, unless you're prepared to... You don't think as we a should commi- do a No, I, I don't think, um, you know, as a committee, you need to sit around and actually talk it through. Yeah. Because... Um, you need to be a, able to do it justice because there's no point in doing it unless you treat it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I, pretty much as far as I want to go on that. Well, on that note... Oh, my enchantress, oh, you beautiful thing. Charming, charming, oh, this is really beyond. From Paris, anything suits you, my charmer. Oh, how she blushes, how she blushes, my pretty. Oh, how she blushes, how she blushes, my pretty Shamante, Shamante. You are such a lovely thing, oh, where have you been? It's such a shame to bury pearls in the country. Charming Now if you have a dress You must wear it out How can you live in Moscow And not go nowhere So you love somebody Charming But that's no reason to shut yourself in But he didn't eat a thing.
thing Cause he was thinking about you He kept sighing about you Oh, how she blushes, how she blushes, my pretty Oh, how she blushes, how she blushes, my pretty Shabbaté, Shabbaté You are such a lovely thing, where have you been? It's such a shame to bury pearls in the country Shabbaté, Shabbaté, charming Stage with Mel and Mike, and we're on free of him every Wednesday at five o'clock or later if your favourite podcast streaming app is your preferred weapon of choice. Our musical of the week this week is Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, and we're just about at the end of today's episode. We've still got a bit of time to go, but we're just about there. So before we go, we felt it's timely now to check out what's going on around the place, as we put it, soonish. Soonish. At the Meteor, Kashu by Linda Chanwai Earl. That's on right now until the 19th of August. Assassins is coming up very soon, presented by Bold Theatre and directed by Kyle Chuan on from August 27th uh, until September 4th and Boil Up that we've been talking about the first round of those projects are in rehearsal and they go to stage beginning at the end of this month excitingly at Clarence Street Theatre Fame Junior presented by Bravo Theatre Company is slated for the 23rd to 25th of September at Rivoli Theatre Hamilton Musical Theatre are in rehearsal for Mamma Mia and that goes to stage in October they're also in rehearsal for the annual Rivoli Theatre Christmas show Back to the 80s that opens in November Morrinsville Theatre are in rehearsal for All Together Now that goes to stage in November. Taaroha Little Theatre are rehearsing Death and Taxes, the April Phillips play. Uh, that'll be on stage September the 9th through to the 18th. 
Gaslight Theatre have Conjugal Rights by Roger Hall and directed by Andrea Goodman. That's on stage September 4th to the 18th. They're also in rehearsals for Aladdin, a pantomime that's directed by Tracy Barlow on stage in November. Maramara Musical Theatre have started rehearsals for A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum and I think they have cast a female pseudolus. Have which they? Which is really cool. Fabulous. Sue for short. Oh, I love that. I don't quote me. I, I, that's what I believe. I may not be right, but I understand that's the case, in which case, good on them. That's on stage in November. Putaruru Theatre Players are in rehearsal for their Christmas production of Moonshine. That also hits the stage in November. Tokoroa Little Theatre are rehearsing No Regrets, the musical, written and directed by Sonia Winikeri. That's on stage in November too. Thames Music and Drama are also in rehearsals for All Together Now. That's hitting the stage in November. November's going to be the month, isn't it? It is. Spamalot, directed by Alistair Hay, is on stage for Rotorua Musical Theatre from the 20th of this month through to September the 4th. Over in Tauranga, you've got Tauranga Musical Theatre. They're in rehearsals for Les Mis. That goes to stage in a few weeks in September. They're also in rehearsals for their version of All Together Now, hitting the stage in November. The 16th Ave Theatre in Tauranga is in rehearsal for The Revlon Girl. That's directed by Geraldine Broderick on stage in October. And Detour Theatre, also in Tauranga, has Sherlock Holmes, The Adventure of the Speckled Band, coming up 9th to the 25th of September. Onifero Society of Performing Arts has Jail House Frocks by Devon Williamson on stage September 17th to the 25th. My friend Marty directed that, go see it. Auckland Theatre Company has coming up Things That Matter by Gary Henderson, adapted from the memoir by David Gawler. That's actually on right now until August the 29th. And The Hucker Party Incident by Katie Wolfe returns by popular demand. That's on stage again this coming November. Turning attention now to upcoming auditions and opportunities. HMT's Summer Broadway Junior Season of Beauty and the Beast is uh, coming up for auditions September the 3rd to the 5th. Hamilton Musical Theatre's Facebook page is the correct place to go for information on how to book for that. Auditions for Rotorua Musical Theatre's Christmas season of Streakin' Through the 70s. They're on August 20th to the 22nd, and you can check out their Facebook page for more info. Matamata Dramatic Society are auditioning on the 21st and 22nd of August. That's this weekend for At the Sign of the Crippled Harlequin by Norman Robbins. Check out their Facebook page for audition information there. And Tauranga's 16th Avenue Theatre have also just announced their auditions for the April Phillips play Swingers. They'll be happening Sunday, September 5th, and you can see their Facebook page for more information. As always, we'd like you to get in touch if you want to add something to that list or edit it in some way. Email backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or just flick us a message on Facebook or Instagram. Neither of us has seen anything lately because it is once again that time of the year where things are in rehearsal and about to open for the September, October, November season of shows. Mike's just about to open Assassins and the photos are looking awesome. And we've got Sits Probe this weekend. I oh, love Sits Probe. Same. Get to sing with the band for the first time. It's going to be great. Oh, Sunday. fun. Oh, I yeah. expect a good Instagram a picture then. <laughs> and you're producing? I am. I am producing the Christmas show Back to the 80s out at Rivoli. Um, and that's a really good one to take your friends and your peeps out for dinner have a good night out the drinks are cheap on the bar good laughs good tunes <laughs> good tunes yeah it's a good and end if, of you, year if musicals aren't really your take then uh, if, if you're after a decent play then the boil up projects at the meteor yep they're worth checking out as well they are well worth checking out um we were talking before we started recording today about copying yeah copying bootlegs right ever we done get, it we did get a bit of feedback about that from last week when we talked about bootlegs yeah we had and a the comment fact that they are prevalent so 
In particular, one comment stood out in your mind, right? Yeah, well, I can't remember who it was from, but one of the commenters said that some directors would be lost without (laughs) the old slime tutorial, as they're called, (laughs) which leads into great discussion about, do you do it? How many of you do it? Would you copy? I don't, personally. No, I wouldn't. Because I just don't feel like I need to. Obviously, you're influenced by things that you see. And there is some subliminal stuff that you can just not help. Right. And there there are also some expectations with some productions that you've got to maybe give a nod to. This is a good point, actually. That's a great point. Because I, now that you mention that, because I'm very proudly, no, all of my shows are my own. But absolutely, I will put a nod into a show if I feel like that's iconic to the show. Yeah, but you do it your way, right? Usually I try to, yeah. yeah. I've had the experience of working on a production in the past, and it was a play, and I'm not going to name it, but it, it kind of horrified me a bit going into rehearsal where a person I was acting opposite um, going through the blocking stages that the director was giving us instructions about what to do. And the actor opposite me kept saying, no, that's not the way that you do it. It's supposed to be like this. And what that person was referring to was what they had seen in a YouTube bootleg version of that play. Yeah. I had not seen it, didn't want to see it. When I'm involved in a production of something I don't know, I will not go near any kind of recording, uh, video recording, yeah. Um, yeah. if I can possibly help it, because I don't want to be influenced Well, that that's way. good practice. It's somebody else's performance. But for somebody to, to view something like that and then say, this is how it's done, it just to me exemplifies the dangers of getting something locked in your head from seeing something that maybe you know you shouldn't be bothered with well you're not acting if you're doing something that some that somebody else's precisely well, I mean, I mean uh, not just acting. Uh, uh, from a directing yeah. perspective as well, you don't you don't want to go trying to put something on stage that you've seen somebody else do because you think that's the way that it needs to be done. Because yeah. heck, you know, scripts are there to provide inspiration and to and to that's be the referred point of a script, to, to. Right? Yeah, you develop it. You make it something that's unique and something that um, best makes use of the talents and the and the facilities and the resources you've got. At yeah. that moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we're on the same page with that. And it, but it is an interesting comment that someone should say that because are there people around there that rely heavily on what they know from what they've seen? Maybe there are. Maybe well, there are. Uh, uh, yeah, well, we don't need to talk too much more about that. No. Anyway. <laughs> Let's wrap things up because we are at that stage now. Just want to say once again, please get in touch with Creative Waikato if you or your arts project could use their assistance. They're always pleased to hear from people who have got original ideas. They sure are. Uh, And don't forget to catch Backstage wherever you get your podcasts as we keep ranting on about. Backstage is available on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of your faves. And head over to Instagram and find Backstage Podcast NZ, where I will be sharing today's episode, plus musical of the week on our story. I've been Mel, he's been Mike, and you've been Backstage. Stay classy, theatre nerds. We're going to bow out today with The Great Comet of 1812 from Natasha Pierre and The Great Comet of 1812, our musical of the week. See ya! Where can I go now? Not to the club, not to pay calls. Mankind seems so pitiful, 
so Compared to that softened, grateful last glance She gave me through her tears It was clear and cold Last firmament open to my eyes, wet with tears. Said to portend untold horrors and the end of the world. But for me, the comet brings no fear. No, I gaze joyfully, and this bright star, having traced its parabola. Inexpressible speed through immeasurable space seems suddenly to have stopped like an arrow piercing the earth. Stopped for me. It seems to. This comet feels me, feels my softened and uplifted soul, and my newly melted heart now blossoming.
Rosimova Countess Natalia Ilinichna Rostova You must call me Natasha Maria Dmitrievna Krosimova Sofia Alexandrovna Rostova You must call me Sonia Welcome, welcome to Moscow Where faded and fading princesses live I'll take you where you must go Pet you a bit and I'll scold you a bit My goddaughter, my favorite Natasha I will touch you on the cheek My cousin and I are so pleased to be with you While we wait on our fiancés Fighting in the in their things we dawdling forget the samovar ready you're half frozen I'm sure bring some rum for the tea so Muska bonjour and Natasha my darling grown plumper and prettier my cheeks are glowing from the cold she said gazing at Maria with kind glittering eyes welcome welcome to Moscow scruffy and cozy like an old dressing gown Natalia Sofia Alexandrovna How beautiful you looked in the snow Cousin dear, I love you Trust no one but you But I can't bear this waiting I cry and I cry Andre, where are you? I want him now at once To embrace him and cling to him No one can understand I love him, I know him, he loves me only, he'll come home one day and take me away, I want nothing more, I want nothing more. First thing tomorrow to Madame Chambord's Dresses, dresses, we'll buy what we can afford Then dinner and a game of Boston Then you'll read to me while I knit How wonderful to have you here Instead of these gossips and crybabies You'll take us where we must go Let us a bit and scold us a bit Her goddaughter, her favorite Natasha She will touch you on the cheek Well, now we'll talk I congratulate you and Andre You've hooked a fine fellow One of the finest matches in all of Russia I am glad and relieved He'll be the family's saving grace I blush happily That his father, Prince Volkonsky Much dislikes his son's marrying me Old fellow's crotchety Of course, Prince Andre's not a child But it's not nice to enter a family Against a father's will One wants to do it 
peacefully and lovingly, but you're a clever girl. Just be kind to Andre's sister, and when the sister loves you, so will the father, and all will be well. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.